I was just barely 18 years old, and I found myself uh, in handcuffs uh, being escorted out of the department store where I worked. And I couldn't keep my head up uh, for the shame, but I heard my friends and coworkers speaking in hushed voices saying, this has to be a mistake. They couldn't be Brandon. But the security officer in a loud voice said, this is what happens when you steal from the company. I was placed in the back of a police car and the officer, he looked at me in the mirror and he said, you don't look like a criminal to me. And then I was booked and fingerprinted and had my mugshot taken. And um, they took my belt and my shoelaces and even my, the stays out of my collar because uh, apparently you can use those things to hurt people or yourself. Another officer took me down a hall to a jail cell that was full of criminals. And he said to me, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. But he opened the door and he put me in that jail cell and he pulled the door shut and it made a loud clang and everyone looked up. And there I was, uh, like 180 pounds back then. I was in a three-piece Italian suit. And uh, one of the other criminals uh, looked up at me and he said, what did you do to get put in here with us? You look like you ought to be at a country club. And I said to myself, why am I here? I don't belong here. I'm not like these people. But the reality of it was, I was like those people, and I did belong there. My sin had caught up with me. There was no justification for what I had done. The felony charge uh, made against me was entirely just. I deserved to be right where I was. And for me, this was unthinkable. This was not my story. This is not what was going to happen in my life. It was truly a worst-case scenario for me. But it was reality, and reality has to be dealt with. Now, this is not my favorite story to tell. I don't tell this at every party I go to. And, uh, but I, I feel like since I'm being vulnerable with you that I, I'd go ahead and ask you a question. So wh whether it's your sin finally catching up with you or, or if it's just circumstances of life, what are you going to do when you find yourself in that worst case scenario? What are you going to do when the unthinkable becomes your reality? I think some of us are already facing it. I think some of us feel like it's just around the corner. Maybe some of us don't even think about it at all. But maybe a spouse has used the word divorce once or twice in a conversation and we start to think, is that where I'm headed? Or maybe a loved one has been sick for months and we don't know why 
or how to treat it. Maybe someone has been diagnosed with cancer or has been laid off from their job or is buried in debt. Or maybe we keep returning to drugs and alcohol or pornography or inappropriate relationships or spending or food or whatever it is that we think is going to fill that emptiness inside of us. What do we do when the unthinkable becomes our reality? Well, I think that our text this morning uh, will shed some light on this. And so if you would, please stand with me as I read uh, from Acts uh, chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 1. It should be on the screen as well. And Saul approved of his execution. This is talking about uh, the martyrdom of Stephen that uh, Ryan preached on last week. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. But there was a, a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to them, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. 
Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The word of the Lord. Oh, and you can be seated. I know that was a lot of scripture. So I'm going to make three observations uh, from this text. And uh, what I'm hoping to accomplish this morning is that we're going to build kind of a emergency action kit uh, that we can have with us uh, for those times when we find ourselves in worst case scenarios. So you're going to need a pen or open an app or something because uh, there's going to be a few things that I ask you to jot down. You know, we, we see after the stoning of Stephen and this great persecution begins, this really should have been the end of the Christian movement. I, I bet you Saul thought that he was really getting a lot accomplished. Uh, he was sending them scattering. He was getting it done. He was stopping the movement. And, and maybe, probably, the Christians who were fleeing the persecution, they probably were afraid that that was true that this movement was going to come to an end. It was, a, it was a bad time for the church. But we kind of have the benefit of hindsight, right? Because for one, we know that Saul doesn't remain Saul. We know that Saul becomes Paul, the apostle, that he writes most of our New Testament and that he is a great champion for the gospel. And, and we know that the movement doesn't die because we're all here. We're a part of it. We're a part of this same church that was being persecuted back in the days of Saul and Philip. 6,000 miles away, 2,000 years later, it's still going and stronger than ever. And that brings me to my first observation no matter how bad it gets, there's always a bigger picture. Or we need to strive to understand that God sees things from his own perspective. You see, Paul was ravaging the church. He was trying to destroy it. He was going to put a stop to this movement once and for all. People were dying. People were being... Uh, chased out of their homes. People were being dragged off to prison. And, and we read later that those people were executed. Things were bad. That's why people fled. They were so bad that Jews, Jewish believers, fled to Samaria. Now, do you remember Samaria? Do you remember what we know about it from what we've read before? Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, she was surprised that Jesus would even talk to her. She said, Jews don't have any business with Samaritans. And, and we think of Samaritans as kind of the good guys, right? Because we've heard the story of the good Samaritan. But the whole point of using a Samaritan in that story when Jesus told the story was that it would be shocking to his Jewish audience that a Samaritan would be considered their neighbor. And John, the Apostle John, John once asked Jesus if he could pray 
that fire would come down from heaven and consume a Samaritan village. He hated the Samaritans. So it was a big deal that people were going there. And, and, and this enmity wasn't something new. The enmity between Samaria and Jerusalem had been going on for a thousand years. It goes all the way back to the split of the kingdom of Israel. Kingdom of Israel broke into two pieces and 10 tribes went to Samaria and two tribes stayed loyal to Jerusalem. So this was a long period of racial separation. And I bet you Philip didn't want to go to Samaria. I bet you if this persecution hadn't happened, he wouldn't have gone. He was, he was maybe feeling a little forced into this situation. Maybe he shared his friend John's lifelong prejudice against the Samaritan people. He thought of them as kind of half-breed muggle types, right? They, they mixed their Jewish heritage with the Syrian heritage, and they weren't the same class of people. But God had a different perspective. You see, God cared about the persecution of His church and the suffering of His people, but He had in mind a bigger picture. Something much bigger was at stake. He was about to end a thousand years of enmity between the Samaritan people and the people of God. The gospel was coming to Samaria. This was a momentous occasion. This was not just a casual story told in the book of Acts. This was a beautiful display of transcultural unity brought about only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel was going to be received by the Samaritans. Last week, Pastor Ryan preached on what it means to be a witness of Jesus. And Jesus, before He ascended into heaven, He gave us this mission. He said, you will be My witnesses throughout Judea, in all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you see, Philip going into Samaria uh, was not a worst-case scenario for God. This was like phase two of His big master plan to reconcile to Himself all peoples. It was not a worst-case scenario from God's perspective. And think about it, the Apostle John, who wanted to have fire from heaven consume Samaritans, he travels with Peter to Samaria to see that they've received the gospel. And what does he do? He lays hands on these people. And he prays for them, but he doesn't pray that fire would come down from heaven. He prays that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. You see, what was happening is that Peter and John were using the keys to the kingdom that Jesus had given them previously. They were opening the doors of the church, church with a capital C. They were opening the doors and, and they were saying, come in. Come into the church. Be with us. Be one with us. You're not going to be some uh, second-rate, second-class Samaritan church. You're going to be a part of the church. You're not going to believe a second-hand, hand-me-down gospel. You're going to believe 
the one true gospel. It was a momentous occasion. Peter and John got all caught up in it. They just couldn't stop witnessing to Samaritans all their way home, visiting villages along the way. What, what, is this, what does this mean for us? Well, let me ask you a question. What is God doing in the middle of your worst case scenario? What is He really up to? What is the big picture that He sees that maybe you don't? Can we even know what He's up to? Here's the first thing I want you to write down. It's, uh, it's the first truth. God is in control. He has not abandoned me. And He sees the whole picture. And here's the first tool that I want you to put into your emergency action kit. It's Romans 8.28. And it says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I called this verse a tool, and tools are not very helpful to us if we are not familiar with how to use them. So, if you really want to build an emergency action kit, you're going to have to memorize this verse, or at the very least, keep it really handy. Because you, you need to reflect on it often, you need to remember this truth often, even in the times where things seem like they're going well. But when that unthinkable thing happens, then you can take this tool out of your toolbox and you can meditate on it. And you can remind yourself that God is in control. He has not abandoned you. And He sees the big picture. You know, we're not all... We're not all knowing infinite beings. We can't really hope to know what God is up to, but I think we can find great comfort in the fact that He is an infinite, all-knowing being. And He says that He's working all things together for our good. The second observation from this text is, because we are His church, the Holy Spirit is always with us. Or we need to seek the power of the Holy Spirit within our circumstances. You see, something unusual happens when the Gospel comes to the Samaritans. The Holy Spirit is delayed. Like usually, they were seeing people get saved and immediately they were receiving the Holy Spirit. But here in Samaria... They're seeing people believe and be baptized, but they're not seeing an immediate uh, appearance of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this once before. Remember Pentecost. When Jesus first ascended, He told the believers to go and wait in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit came on them in power. And we're going to see this one more time later on, when Peter brings the gospel to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit shows up in a similar dramatic way. It was a momentous occasion. The gospel had come to Samaria. And, and what God was doing is He wanted there to be no 
confusion about which Holy Spirit the Samaritans were receiving. It was the same Holy Spirit that the Jews received. It was the same apostles opening the doors and welcoming them into the church, into the same church. Now, well-meaning Christians sometimes read this passage of Scripture and I think misconstrue it a bit. And they look at it and they see what they think is the norm when people get saved as opposed to an exceptional momentous occasion. I, I used to attend a church in Southern California. Uh, they would describe themselves as mildly charismatic. And I'm not entirely sure what that means even now, but there was one time where I went to a church meeting and someone asked me, have you ever prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I said, I don't, I don't think so. I've been baptized. And they said, well, this is different. This is a second baptism, a baptism of fire. And once I kind of figured out that fire wasn't actually involved, I said, well, let's, let's give this a try. Because who wouldn't want more of the Holy Spirit's power, right? So I, I knelt down and 20 or so people put their hands on me and they began to pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit. And this, they labored over me, guys. This went on for like an hour. And they were praying and praying, and I began to realize they were waiting for something to happen. And it didn't seem like anything was going to happen. And, and so they began to kind of prompt me, and they were like, you need to speak in tongues. You need to open your mouth and just speak in tongues. And I had heard people pray in tongues before, uh, but I didn't want to fake it, right? This didn't seem like a good time to fake anything and so I just didn't. And after a while, they, they stopped, and, I, and they went away, and they gave me sad looks, and I realized, well, I felt like I had let everybody down. And I began to doubt things. I began to say, am I really a Christian? Like, was something supposed to happen here that didn't happen, and what does that mean? Well, God didn't abandon me in that moment. One of the church elders came to me and he said, this isn't the same for everybody. People have different experiences with this. And you, you know, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you'll begin to see Him do work in you and you'll begin to see opportunities come to you where you can use your gifts and your talents. And, and, and don't think badly of this church because uh, the pastor there and the, the other elders there, they they were ones of the first who recognized a calling on my life, and they, they built into my life, and, and for that I'll be eternally grateful. But this experience was not edifying for me. It was harmful. It, it brought confusion and not clarity to my understanding of my relationship with God. And I, I share this story with you because I know that some of you have a similar experience. And I know that others of you have probably had a similar experience that maybe had a more of a positive outcome. And, and maybe some of you have never even heard of this kind of thing before, and it's just good to know. But what, I'll, what I can tell you is that Scripture tells us God decides who gets what gifts and when. And I, I think that Peter summed it up 
in his first sermon when he said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you are a believer, you already have the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, this does not mean that we never pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Word tells us that we need to be in the Spirit. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the Spirit? It, re it really just means that we acknowledge in our own lives that the Holy Spirit is responsible for giving us power to overcome sin and to do that uh, which is His will. And He's also our comfort. And He's also a source of wisdom and guidance to us. Where in your life do, do you see that you don't have the power to overcome sin or the power to do what you know is right? Is, is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there, is there somebody that you have done wrong to that you need to make an amends with, that you need to make things right, but you just find that that's too difficult? Maybe it's sharing your faith. Maybe, maybe you just don't feel empowered to do that. Or, or maybe you see people in the community around you who are oppressed, who are in need. You don't feel the power or the ability to do anything about it or to step into the messiness of that. Where do you need guidance? Is it at work? In your marriage? With your children? At school? With money? Or how about comfort? Are you, are you hurting this morning? Are you anxious and afraid and or do you feel alone? Are you, are you all tied up in, in what you don't know and can't control? Are you confused? Do you, do you feel that no one could possibly understand how you are feeling? The same Holy Spirit that was given to the Jews was given to the Samaritans and it was given to the Gentiles. And that includes you and me. We have that same Holy Spirit. And so when we find ourselves in these unthinkable situations, our worst case scenarios, we can rely on the Holy Spirit for comfort and guidance and power. And so here is the truth that I want you to write down. God is in control. He has not abandoned me. He has given me the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's a second tool to put in your emergency action kit. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So again, we've got to be familiar with this tool. This can't be something we hear this morning and never look at again. You, you need to memorize it. Put it somewhere where you can find it and look at it 
And then when you find yourself in that situation where you don't have any control and you feel trapped by your circumstances, you can bring this tool out and meditate on it and remember that God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a third observation I want to make. It is that God empowers us through His Spirit, but He retains control. Or we need to give up our futile desire to be in control. So I went to SeaWorld once uh, with my wife and kids, and there was a magician there who was performing, uh, you know, street magic and stuff. And he took my wedding ring and Alicia's wedding ring, and he put them together, and they were like joined together. And our rings don't have like openings or anything, so I couldn't figure out how he did it. Um, I still can't figure out how he did it, and it really, really bothers me. In fact, a few years ago, I tested my ring to make sure it was gold, because I'm like, what if he like switched it on me or something? I should probably check Alicia's ring, but I'm sure it's still a genuine cubic zirconia, so... <laughs> Um, magicians kind of freak me out, you know. And so I kind of already have a bias towards this Simon the Magician guy. I don't know what he was about. I don't know if his magic was demonic or if it was all smoke and mirrors or whatever they did in that day. Maybe the Samaritans were just really gullible people. Um, but whatever it was, he was convincing. These people thought he was a man of God. They had given him influence and status. And you know, to his credit, he knew real power when he saw it. It says he believed Philip when he did signs and wonders, and he saw that this power was from God, and it was greater than the power that he had, and he wanted it. But you know, he didn't believe in Jesus. Peter, Peter calls him out right away and sees through his false belief. He didn't want to follow Jesus because he loved Jesus' message and he wanted to be reconciled with his God. He wanted to follow Jesus because he wanted to appropriate that power for his own gain. I think maybe we judge Simon too harshly because when I really think about what it is, is what it is that he is doing, I think it's an error that a lot of us make, even believers. And, and this is this idea that we want to be the ones who have the control. We want to be the ones who wield the power. We want to make the decisions. Don't we do that? Don't we do it all the time? We try to take control from God. I know that I do. I try to climb up into God's chair. Like I used to visit my dad's office when I was a kid, and I'd sit in his chair at his desk, and I'd pretend that I was the boss. You know, my feet don't even reach the floor in God's chair. And yet I, I sit there and I try to run the world. For years, I struggled with addiction. It threatened my job. 
It threatened my marriage. It even, it, if I'm really honest about it, it threatened my life. And yet I, I couldn't stop. I kept returning to that same addictive behavior over and over. And it wasn't that I didn't want to stop. I, I tried everything. I tried everything. I, I read all the books. And I went to seminars and I threw myself into ministry thinking maybe I could make myself so important to God that He would have to take this addiction away from me. You know what I didn't try? I didn't try submitting to the guidance and comfort and power of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because He wanted me to face my pain. That didn't sound like it was a worthwhile activity. And He wanted me to be real and vulnerable with other people, even if it meant spilling my secrets. And He wanted me to acknowledge my own part in my sin and the things that had happened to me in life. God's plan was just didn't make any sense to me. I knew better. I knew better. I knew how to do it better than he did. I was afraid to give up. I had this tiny piece of control left. And I had a few fragments of my life still holding on. And I was afraid to give up that control because I felt like if I gave it up to God, then I would lose everything. I couldn't trust God. And Simon was greedy for power. And I don't really know what that's like. I don't, I don't struggle with greedy for power. But I do struggle with greedy for being in control. And I think it's really the same thing. So I can identify with him. I think, if, I think if I believed that I could somehow grab the power of the Holy Spirit and, and use it to my own ends, I think I'd be tempted to actually try it. How about you? Where in your life are you just not willing to let go of that little piece of control that you still have? Where in your life are you just desperately holding on, unable to trust God? I tell, I tell you what, it's often finances. I hear that from people all the time. That's the one thing I can't trust God with. Maybe it's our children. Where are they going to go to college? What are they going to do? How are we going to control that? Is it confession of sin? Have you done something that is so bad that God can't handle it? Is it in your marriage, your relationships, your career? What is it? What is it, what is it that is so big that you think only you can handle it? You couldn't possibly trust it with the God of the universe. It just sounds silly when we look at it. Christian, God is faithful. He's so faithful. He's so trustworthy. He is so worthy of our trust in Him. So here's the truth that I want you to write down. God is in control. He has not abandoned me. And I can trust Him with... And fill in that blank. And... The last tool for our emergency action kit is Matthew 6.31 and also 33. 
Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, memorize them and bring them out in the good times. And then when you find yourself in that situation where, you, where it's difficult to trust God, meditate on the fact that he is your provider. He's faithful and he is in control. So I, I stayed in that jail cell for three days. My family wasn't able to bail me out, and I didn't know if they just hated me and had abandoned me or what. I finally got out on my own recognizance. Because you see, while I was in there, I made a bargain with God. I told God, if you get me out of this, I will devote my life to you. And I, and I have to tell you, I wish I could tell you the whole story uh, because God did amazing things. I don't have a felony on my record. I didn't go to prison. And God, time and time again, even when I kept screwing up, spared me from the consequences of this sin. He kept his side of that arrangement. But I tell you, the day I got out of jail, I went right back to my sinful ways. I didn't steal anymore but I wasn't leading a Christian life. And I don't believe I was a Christian. I don't believe I turned my life over to him for another five or six years. And yet, he was faithful. That's kind of how it is with God. I didn't deserve the mercy that my family showed me when I got out of jail, the forgiveness. I, I didn't deserve the mercy that the judge showed me even when I didn't show up for my arraignment later. I didn't deserve the mercy that God showed me when Jesus died on a cross for my sins even after I turned my back on Him when He was faithful in my worst case scenario. Here's the thing, even back in that jail cell on my very worst day, God had a plan for me. And I didn't know it, but I was already His. I thought I was offering Him something that I had and He didn't. But He was in control and He never abandoned me. So how about you? Do, do you feel Him calling you right now? I, I want you to know, if, you, if you're not already walking with God, I want you to know that He's not waiting for you to clean up your act uh, before you come to Him. He doesn't want that. There, there's nothing that you could do that would earn favor. And if, if you want to talk about this more or, or pray together about this, I'd be happy to meet with any one of you uh, after the communion time. I'll be in the back of the room. But I hope for, for those of us who are walking with Christ, I hope we'll, we'll take out this emergency action kit in those moments when we feel despair. And so, if you would, pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Holy Spirit. I thank You for the comfort that You provide to us when uh, comfort cannot be found. And I thank You for the guidance that You give to us when we don't know 
what's going on, and, and the experts around us don't know what's going on. And, and Lord, I thank You for the power that You put into our lives to help us to overcome sin and do that which we know is right. Lord, I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.